Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Betting Above the Rim podcast, episode number 32. Today's date, February 26th. In today's podcast, we get into four topics. First, we talk about Steve Kerr landing that landmark two-year extension for Golden State. We'll talk about Steve Kerr's legacy a little bit and what does this mean, not only for just Steve Kerr, but the Golden State Warriors moving forward. Second, we have to address the incident that took place in Winston-Salem over the weekend. But Kyle Filipowski from Duke getting injured and court storming. As a coach, I will give you my thoughts on court storming and what can we do to change it. Third, we're going to go to the women's game and the play of Juju Watkins, a sensational forward guard, whatever you want to call her, do whatever the heck she wants from USC. But we're also going to give some flowers to a Jersey kid, a kid named Hannah Hidalgo of Notre Dame. If you don't know about her, you're going to find out in a little bit. And lastly, I'll give you my all-time team for the defending NBA champions, the Denver Nuggets. And let's get started with Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr has announced by Woj uh, last week that he has signed an extension with the Golden State Warriors of two years, $35 million. It makes Steve Kerr, based on annually, the highest-paid coach in NBA history at $17.5 million. And folks, people have talked about, is Steve Curry an overrated coach? I have people say, ask that to me on social media. Here's the fact that the matter is, folks, Steve Kerr is a winner. And when Steve Kerr took over for a Golden State Warrior team for Mark Jackson, you got to remember, folks, Steve Kerr came straight from the broadcasting booth into coaching, which is something that usually, folks, it does not turn out very well. And Steve Kerr has done nothing but win. You can look at some of the legendary stuff he's done offensively, uh, mainly what we call the split-cut action, which is you have two people coming together at the elbow, one player back cuts, one player pops. This split-cut action, along with Draymond being the trigger of this offense, has been one of the more revolutionary things in the NBA, it's a little bit of an ode to the Princeton offense, Pete Carrill's Princeton offense, if you will, if you were thinking about it. Now, there were teams in the past that ran this kind of a Princeton offense. Some people would think about the New Jersey Nets when they had Jason Kidd. But this is a this is Princeton on the ultimate steroid. And how does it benefit them? Well, look at the play of Steph Curry that continues year after year after year to be one of the most dynamic and one of the best players in the NBA. And Steph, even as he gets older, 
continues to play at a high level. And what I'm starting to come to is maybe this is the ending of a, the guard with Golden State, right? So when you think about Golden State, there's more than just Steve Kerr. It's more than Steph Curry. You got to talk about Clay Thompson. A Clay Thompson that has struggled mightily this year, and Steve Kerr has brought him off the bench. And what you've seen out of this player since he's been brought up off the bench is really increased productivity. You could argue that he's pissed off. I don't know if that's the right word, but it doesn't matter because you're getting a way better version of Clay Thompson as of late. But there's more. There's another elephant in the room, and that's been the play of Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins has played such a critical role in the Golden State Warriors, winning an NBA title. But, folks, he has struggled, but he's coming along. You can look at the development of Jonathan Kaminga, a guy that I've gone after on this podcast about what he talked about how he's not, you know, you can't guard him. And I, I just kind of knocked him a little bit. Well, I, hey, folks, you know what? As a coach, sometimes you got to realize you're wrong, right? Since I've talked about it, what has Jonathan Kaminga done? He's had his two best months of his NBA career. 20.6 points per game uh, in the month of January, 17.3 in February. Then there's the Wiley veteran, CP3. I thought it wasn't going to work, but now CP3 has been out for a while. He has been medically cleared, and he should be uh, in the lineup. I do believe the next time the Golden State plays, which is tomorrow. And then obviously you got to talk about Draymond and the, the the antics and the theatrics of Draymond Green. I mean, listen, Steve Kerr has been dealing with this team and their inconsistent play, and sometimes I would say the not being in shape, to a point where they're playing, folks. I know they lost last night at home to Golden State, but they're playing their best ball of the season. At 29-27, they've won eight of the last 10 games, and they sit themselves three games out of the loss column uh, for the sixth seed. And that's something of note, folks, because when you get to this point, you don't want any part of the playing tournament. So a Golden State team, which has the sixth easiest schedule the rest of the way, we're going to see what they're made of. But for Steve Carr, this is as much of a, he's one of the best coaches in the league. Some people would argue not. Also, almost a thank you to him for what he has done for Golden State. And look at the fact that maybe, folks, they're lining this up, up for in a couple of years. Draymond's probably going to be close to retiring. Steph could be retiring. And then obviously you can look at Steve Kerr leaving as well. A nice send-off for Steve Kerr, but they're not dead yet. I know I've said that they're not going to win the title. They're not contenders. L let's see if Steve Kerr can get them into that sixth seed. And if they do, anything's possible. Let's move on to the college game. And really, after a great weekend of college basketball, you can look at the Houston-Baylor uh, game was fantastic. He went to overtime. The Purdue-Michigan game uh, yet on Sunday. Folks, the big story coming out of this weekend is the unfortunate incident and the injury to Kyle Filipowski, the star center of Duke University, considered one of the top NBA prospects. Kyle got hurt in a court-storming incident. And it was reported this morning by CBS Evening News that he suffered a sprained ankle in the court storming chaos following the 83-79 loss at Wake Forest. 
Now, what has led to is coaches and players alike questioning court storming. So before I get into my thoughts as a coach, let's hear from Kyle's coach, John Shire, and his thoughts on court storming. Disappointed we lost. Uh, but look, for me, it's I'm more concerned about the, the well-being of our guys. You know, Flip sprains his ankle. When are we going to ban court storming? Like, when are we going to ban that? Like, how many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted right in their face? And it, it's a dangerous thing. And I don't want that to take away from the game that Wake played. Because Wake played a big-time game. Salas was as good as could be today. And, and hats off to them. But you look around the country and Caitlin Clark, something happens. And now Flip, I don't know what his status is going to be. He sprains his ankle. And it's one thing, like when I played, at least it was 10 seconds in the court, you know, you would storm the court. Now it's the buzzer doesn't even go off and they're, they're running on the floor. And this has happened to us a bunch this year. Um, it's part of it. I don't want this to take away at all from Wake. They earned it. They deserve the win. Steve is a hell of a coach. I respect the heck out of him and his team. They're, they're really good. And if this is an example that they need to be in the tournament, what are we even talking about? So I'll answer any questions. But for me, that's hats off to them. We need to be better. We need to learn from this. Uh, but uh, that needs to stop. And also, obviously, the words of a very frustrated John Shire. And I understand his frustration as a coach. This has got to be something, folks, that's got to be corrected, and it's becoming a problem. This is not the first time this happened. Like I said, Caitlin Clark and that incident, I do believe, at Indiana when she kind of got ran over. But this is different, folks. Caitlin Clark came out of this unscathed. We can't say the same about Flip. Now, when you look at big men, knees and ankles, those are always been my concern as a coach. And we could see the scene here in Winston-Salem after the win, but there's got to be changes made, folks, in the NCAA as we see the picture of Flip being carried off the floor with John Shire behind him. And it's a shame that a Duke team, which has kind of been inconsistent, especially on the road, folks, they're still a title contender. And it changes everything about Duke if Filipowski is out. So here are my thoughts as a coach. Number one, we got to do better with security. I can tell you when I worked at Monmouth University as associate head coach, do you know who worked security on the baseline? They were students. How, how is a student going to stop more students from running onto the floor? So I am asking and I'm mandating that in any time an unranked versus ranked team, unranked team is at home, I want to have professional security and cops, whether they be from the university or local police, you pay to have that extra security there. And their job is to be near the players so that when the game ends, they protect the players. Kind of like you see in college football, when the coaches go walk across the, the shake hands, the head coaches, and you see like three police officers like around the head coach, how about we get about seven or eight, eight uniformed police officers from the school or local police that the school's got to pay for, 
in order to escort the visiting team off the locker room. Number two, I think the coach should have a chance uh, as a head coach uh, from a a losing standpoint. If you feel like this is going to be an unsafe environment, John Shire could have. It's always Monday morning quarterback. John Shire, when Steve Forbes called that timeout with one point, some odd seconds left, four-point game, game's over. John could have also said, you know what? I'm getting my kids off the floor right now. I'm letting the officials know. I'm going to take a five-second I'm going to take a five-second violation. In fact, I will use my the time up by coach Forbes to shake hands with his team and the coaching staff and we're going to exit out the tunnel and we won't be allowed or not even be on the floor when the clock strikes zero. Thirdly, there needs to be more fines, heavy fines and and or technical fouls for teams that have players, I'm sorry, fans that go to the floor before the clock hits 0.0. There were some fans that were on the floor before that happened. That could be, as a referee's discretion, a technical foul, a two shots, and the ball. Because then you could go, this is beyond a delay of game warning. Lastly, interestingly enough, if you want these kids to celebrate and you don't want to do any of these other measures, okay, very simple. You're going to mandate each university with their league that there is a 30-second runoff, meaning once the game ends, you put 30 seconds on the clock, that gets a team time. If they want to shake hands or not, get the, the, the losing team out into the tunnel. If the, if the head coach, because you saw Steve Forbes is really upset as well, you want to get them out to the tunnel, Get everybody, all the players and coaches out of harm's way and let the students have their fun. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to be a party pooper. But this is the problem that what we have, and it's got to be fixed. And if they didn't do it for Caitlin Clark, then one of the best players in college basketball just got hurt, may miss time, and it's all because of court storming. We all have to be better. Let's move on to the women's college game and talk about the unbelievable play of Juju Watkins, a 6'2 guard that literally I was talking to a friend of mine from USA Basketball, a very dear friend, and he said it best. He said, Juju can do it all. She can create off the bounce. She can get any shot she wants, and she's incredibly smart and just figuring it out. A Juju Watkins as a freshman, that's scoring 28.1 points per game, seven rebounds, 2.6 steals, and 1.6 blocks. And look at some of these stats that she's put up, folks. Now, this is rankings when they played. 42-7-5-3-3 versus the Colorado team. Remember, they beat LSU opening night. Number four, Stanford. I believe on the road. Listen, nobody does this at Tara Vanderveer. 51-11, four steals, over 50% from two and from three. And then obviously you got another great coach in Corey Close and UCLA in that rivalry, 32, 10, three, and three. And when you talk about college basketball, I was, I was talking to my friend about this, and I gave him this question. I said, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, uh, Juju Watkins, and I forget the fourth player. 
Uh, if you could, if they actually just two those three, if they were all healthy, who's the number one pick? Now he said Caitlin Clark, but he had to think about it. So think about the fact that he had to think about this with an established player like Caitlin Clark, the most dominant player in women's college basketball. Paige Beckers, which is the most talked about player honestly in college basketball besides maybe Caitlin Clark. This kid, he had to think about a kid, Juju Watkins, who stayed home, right? For Lindsey Gottlieb, stayed home in LA to play for the Trojans. But as much as I have to sit here and give flowers to Juju Watkins, I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's another freshman, there's another freshman that nobody is talking about. Folks, her name is Hannah Hidalgo. You don't know about Hannah Hidalgo? Freshman guard, Haddonfield, New Jersey, Jersey in the building, played at Paul the Sixth for my good friend Lisa Steele for a while, and then for her father, I believe the her dad was the head coach maybe the last year or two that Hannah was in high school and played AAU for the Philly Rise organization in the EYBL. And boy, look at these stats that this point guard's putting up. 23.7 points per game, number three in the country. 6.2 rebounds. She ain't even in the top 50. Folks, she's a guard. That's my point with that. 5.5 assists per game, 22nd in the nation. 4.9 steals, first in the country. And I want you to think about this, folks. Her first game of her college career, okay? Got to remember, there's a guard that's really, really good, one of the best guards in the nation, and Olivia Miles is not playing this year for an ACL tear. So Hannah's got to step in, and she's got to be the point guard. The first game of her career was against South Carolina. South Carolina. They were number six at that point. They're number one in the country, undefeated. And this girl dropped 31-4-3-3 versus Dawn Staley. How about the game that she had against UConn? Double-digit underdog went on the road and dropped 34-10-6 and completely outplayed an entire UConn team that Gina Oriema still has nightmares about that game. How about what she did to Jeff Waltz and Louisville? 30 points, 7 steals. This girl's putting up sets, and I want to show you this graphic, okay? I, I want Matt to bring this back up here. There was a tweet that came out in the beginning of January, I think. I'm going to read it for, for people listening on, on Apple and Spotify. In the last 25 years, only one NBA, WNBA, or Division I men's or women's player has had in their entire career, in their entire career. So it doesn't have to be at the same span or not, just in their entire career. She's had a 12-game span of 280 points, a 12-game span of 70 rebounds, a 12-game span of 70 assists, and a 12-game span of 70 steals. That player is Hannah Hidalgo. Folks, she did in her first 12 games of her career. So something that hasn't been done in 25 years, an NBA, WNBA, Division I men's or women's college basketball, this kid did it in her first 12 games. I'm going to say this, and I thank God I was talking to my friend about this because he's as knowledgeable as anybody. He made a good point. He's predicting, and I think he's right, they should give co-freshman of the year to both Juju Watkins 
and Hannah Hidalgo. And think about this with Caitlin Clark, with Paige Beckers, with Angel Reese, with all of these dominant players in women's college basketball, there should be two first team all Americans as freshmen, and that's Juju Watkins and Hannah Hidalgo. Let's end today's podcast by doing one of our favorite topics, all-time teams. So this episode, let's do the all-time team for the defending NBA champion, the Denver Nuggets. A Denver Nugget team, folks, you remember, started in the ABA and has now been in the NBA since the late 70s. ABA, I think, since the late 60s, I do believe. And let's go ahead and let's pull up my bench for the Denver Nuggets. And we'll go through each player individually. We have Dan Issel, Dikembe Mutombo, Kiki Vandaway, Mr. Big Shot, Chauncey Billups, and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, a.k.a. formerly known as Chris Jackson. And let's start with Dan Issel, also, I think, believe, coached for the Denver Nuggets. Dan Issel, ABA All-Star, seven-time All-Star, 1975 ABA champion, five-time All-NBA in 1970-71 rookie of the year, with a career average of 20.7 points per game, 8.3 rebounds, 2.5 Assist. Dan Issel was electric and very athletic at the power forward position. And really, in an ABA, folks, you got to remember the ABA, when he started, the ABA was more of an up tempo league. It was more fast break than the NBA was, more up and down. But he was able to transform his game from the W, I'm sorry, from the ABA to the NBA, like other players as well, Dr. J, David Thompson, so on and so forth. Dan Issel, first player on the bench for my all-time team. Second, let's go to the big man, Dikembe Mutombo, one of the best and most ferocious defensive players in the history this game's ever seen. Eight-time All-Star, four-time defensive player of the year, three-time All-NBA. Folks, I got this guy on my list, and he didn't even average 13 points in his career, 12.9 points, 12.3 rebounds, 3.8 blocks, and the king of the... No, 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 when he will block your shot. And who can forget the celebration in Seattle when Denver became the first team as an eight seed to win versus a one seed in the NBA playoffs and seeing Dikembe crying in jubilation as he's hugging the basketball when they came back from 0-2 to stun Seattle. Let's move on to another great player that played, this is more in the 80s, early 90s, and that's Kiki Vandeweghe. Kiki Vandeweghe also played some time with the Knicks. I do believe he's a Long Island guy. Kiki Vandeweghe was a two-time All-Star, 22.3 points per game. That's obviously that's Chauncey Billups there. Uh, but two-time All-Star, 23.3 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, 2.7 assists. Really, a, as, a, as a small forward, a, a sniper, a great shooter. This is back in the day, folks, when the, the three-point line wasn't really much of a thing, but he would definitely would have been one of the better shooters. Really great, underrated player in his generation, Kiki Vandeweghe. And now let's move on. Matt got a little excited. I got excited too. And that's Mr. Big Shot. You don't know Mr. Big Shot? His name is Chauncey Billups. 
five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, 2004 NBA champion with the Detroit Pistons where he was the finals MVP and scored 23.3 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, shot 54% uh, on a Denver team that had Carmelo Anthony, that had Nene, who had Kenyon Martin, a really good Denver Nugget team uh, that was coached by George Carl, one of the more underrated coaches of this generation. Remember, Chauncey also went to the Knicks, was part of that uh, Knicks team for a year, and then in, a, in a, almost a controversial move, the Knicks were allowed to buy out one player, and the Knicks decided to buy out Chauncey Billups to go get Tyson Chandler rather than buy out Amari Stoudemire, who was a little bit starting to break down with his knees. Still an unbelievable career for Chauncey Billups, now the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers, a.k.a. Mr. Big Shot, one of the great names uh, in the NBA the last 20 years. And let's end our bench with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. This was such a polarizing figure, folks. There's a really great documentary on Showtime about Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. And for for those that don't know, especially our younger audience, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf caused a lot of, uh, I guess, problems, I would say, when he refused at one time to stand for the National Anthem. It wasn't a big deal until a reporter got wind of it, and he tried to go into the tunnel, he wanted to stand in prayer, and it led to really Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf's career being derailed in the NBA to the point, folks, where I will say he was blackballed because there's no way in hell a guy this good should have been blackballed from the league. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, otherwise known as Chris Jackson, 1992-93 all-rookie team, 1992-93 most improved, uh, 16 points per game, four assists per game, and this guy could flat-out score. We're talking scoring point guard, crazy quick release, can get his shot off of anybody, secretly athletic, Silky smooth. I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe like a Dame time, but maybe like a little bit like more shifty with his handle. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, one of the most underrated players of all time and someone that has been blackballed by the NBA. And it's something that if it was done after the fact, like we saw with the NBA players and people kneeling for the National Anthem, like Colin Kaepernick, you talk about Kaepernick being blackballed. You could argue that Kaepernick was he good enough to be a starting quarterback or not in the NFL? This guy was definitely one of the 30 best point guards in the NBA, and he got absolutely railroaded, and we should all be ashamed of ourselves. And if you don't know about Chris Jackson, a.k.a. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, go look at his career in Denver, and then also go back to his playing career at LSU when he was the leading scorer with a big man by the name of Shaquille O'Neal. Now let's go to my starting five for my all-time Denver Nuggets team. At the guard spot, Fat Lever, along with David Thompson. In the front court, Alice English, Carmelo Anthony, and of course, the Joker, Nikola Jokic. Now let's start with Lafayette Fat Lever, a guy that was a really great uh, player, and that should say, uh, when we pull it up, it should say all NBA 
1986-87, a two-time All-Star for a Denver Nuggets team in the Western Conference really doesn't get the respect they deserve because of the fact of how great the Lakers were. Back then, you had the Houston Rockets teams that made a couple of NBA Finals, and Fat Lever was one of the more underrated point guards of all time, getting you about 17.6 points per game, 7.6 assists. That's interesting, folks. I'm taking Fat Lever as my point guard over a player like Jamal Murray. That tells you how good Fat Lever was. At the two, oh, boy, you want to talk about, like when people talk about old school ABA, a lot of people talk about like, like Dr. J. One of the most exciting players that that is before my time, but I've got to see highlights growing up, my father would always talk about as I got older, was David Thompson, Hall of Famer, five-time All-Star, two-time NBA, 1975-1976 rookie of the year. I do believe David Thompson went to NC State for his college basketball career. And David Thompson was an absolute Skywalker, freakishly athletic, played way above the rim, and someone that I think game would have translated well to this time NBA at 24 points per game. He would have been absolutely electric, electric as a scorer in the modern-day NBA. Let's move on to the small forward position. And we're talking about Fat Lever. This guy, folks, could be the best player, kids, that you may have never heard about. His name was Alex English, eight-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, 26 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, 4.4 assists, and one of the best silky, smooth, lanky scores. He can get you to the rim and bang it on you. He had the jumper. He had the mid-range game. Played in that up-tempo system in Denver. One of the most underrated players of all time, folks. If you never heard of Alex English, go look at what he did for his career in Denver at the power forward position. We got to go mellow. Now, I know it didn't end great in Denver, but this guy, 10-time All-Star, six-time NBA, 24.8 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game, shooting at about 46% from the floor. And it's funny, folks, I I saw something on social media a couple of days ago, and I want you guys to think about this. The number one pick in that draft, that legendary draft, was LeBron James to Cleveland. The number two pick, Detroit, Larry Brown did not want to take Carmelo and took a guy named Darko Milicic. Carmelo went three to Denver. Let me tell you something. I think Chauncey Billups said it best. If they, Detroit, with Chauncey Billups, with Rashid Wallace, with all those guys, Rip Hamilton, and they would have had Carmelo on that team? If they would have had Carmelo on that team? They, there's no doubt in my mind Denver would have won. I'm sorry, not Denver. Detroit would have won multiple championships. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. If Carmelo Anthony was drafted second in that draft instead of Darko Milicic, 
Detroit Pistons would have had multiple championships. And the way that Cleveland went through Detroit eventually, I don't know if it would have been that easy for LeBron James. I'd argue that those teams and the Celtics teams would have been a major trouble if they had a scorer like a Carmelo Anthony for Detroit. But obviously, great career that he had in Denver. And obviously, you know what the New York and other stops after that. And let's end our all-time lineup starting five with the Joker. I mean, what can you say? Six-time All-Star, two-time MVP, won the finals last year, finals MVP, five-time All-NBA, favorite to win the third MVP, minus 155, I do believe, on FanDuel as of today. Nikola Jokic, what can you say? The guy, the guy that made the dad bod cool again. See, I look at Joker, and I, and I start to feel like I could do something again. I'm 47. And I look at that dad bod. And then I realize, do y'all see what this guy does? I mean, people talk about, well, have you played against this guy? What this guy does, we've not seen it to center position before. The ability, now listen, he doesn't have these stats that you think about like Shaq and Wilt and Kareem and stuff. But at seven feet tall, to be able to shoot the three, play in the low post, start the break with the with the outlet pass, bring the ball up the floor. You can put him in the low post. You can put him in the pinch, which if you don't know what the pinch, folks, that's the elbow. You can put him at the top of the key, and he could score or create for every player on the floor. Nikola Jokic, one of the best players in the NBA. Now, he's number three on my list. I still have Giannis and obviously JoJo ahead of him, but there's no discounting what he has done for Denver, putting that team on his back, and that's why he's the favorite to win the MVP this year and why right now the Denver Nuggets are the favorites to come out of the Western Conference. This has been the Betting Above the Rim podcast, episode number 32. For all things sports gambling, just go and download that Sports Grid app, pregame, end game, post game, with props, predictions, and more from some of the best in the business. You got to make sure you get that Sports Grid app, folks. That is your one-stop shop for all things sports gambling. Next podcast will be episode 33. We're going to do one more all-time lineup of the NBA, and we're going to go to the Clippers before next month we focus on all college basketball because, folks, March is coming. And March Madness is officially here. For Maddie George, for Vinny, for EJ that does uh, our stinger, this is Coach Young. Remember, folks, it's smarter to be on Sports Grid. Good night. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.